We must inspire ourselves in the radical democracy of the Paris Commune that uh, guaranteed freedom for not only for the artists, for the thinkers, but freedoms for the people, freedoms the people didn't have in their workplaces, in his day day-to-day -day lives so that workers and the youth and the intellectuals and the artists they felt that they were capturing their lives in their hands this program is brought to you by haymarket books as part of our live event series haymarket books is a radical independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world you can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. By joining the book club, you get all new Haymarket titles delivered to your door and a 50% discount on the entire Haymarket website, all for one low price. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, Rate and review the podcast Welcome on everybody. Apple, uh, or whatever thank platform you for joining us today. We're here with Haymarket Books to talk about uh, the newly published volume by Olivier Bessentineau and Michael Lowy, Marx in Paris. And this is an, a remarkable book. I'm going to let Michael fill us in on how he and Olivier discovered the manuscript uh, and brought to us a really a historical gem about how Karl Marx and Jenny Marx made a secret trip to Paris during the Paris Commune uh, 101 years uh, uh, 100, 101 years ago uh, to, to talk to their friends in the Paris Commune and to come long time revolutionary socialist, the author of many books, including one of my favorites, The Idea of Revolution and the Young Karl Marx, which is also available from Haymarket Books, uh, and this brand, brand new publication, Marx in Paris. Um, and we also are very happy today to be joined by Natalia Tylim. Natalia is a socialist from New York City. Uh, she is a food service worker and a member of the Tempest Collective. And we have Valerio Arcari joining us from Brazil. Valerio is, uh, again, another longtime socialist comrade, uh, is a member of Resistencia Current within the PESOL, within the Party of Socialism and Freedom in Brazil, um, and a very important figure on the Brazilian left. So we're very uh, happy today to have essentially an international panel to discuss uh, the importance of the Paris Commune today and the rele relevance of this new book. So I want to begin, Michael, I want to go to you first. And if you could tell us the story, wink, wink, of how <laughs> uh, you discovered this incredible lost manuscript by Jenny Marks uh, in the bottom of a trunk in an attic, um, and how you and Olivier were able to translate it from two or three different languages and then bring it to publication. Well, uh, Todd, let me first uh, thank you very much for your translation of uh, Jenny Mark's uh, notebook. Yes, you did a wonderful English translation. Now, uh, yes, uh, we had this friend, uh, Longuet, yes, this young chap which we used to meet from time to time. And he told us something incredible that he discovered in an old trunk from his Grand grandmother Jenny Marx, <laughs> uh, married to Lafargue, uh, to, to Longuet, pardon, uh, etc. So uh, he didn't know exactly what to do about it. He couldn't understand it. it. Was written in mainly in Gothic German. So 
He showed it to us, and uh, well, we were really very interesting. And with the help of a friend who knew Gothic German, we were able to read it, yeah? And we were very, very surprised, incredible. It was a notebook by Jenny Marks of her father and her uh, secret, clandestine visit to Paris during the Paris Commune in April 1871. Eh? And she tells how they traveled with forged pass. They took the passport from some friend in England, and so with uh, secret uh, identities and they, how they were received by their friend Leo Frankel and how they stayed in Paris for a few weeks and met their old friends, Charles Longuet, who was the fiancé of Jenny, and uh, Leo Frankel, of course, Eugène Barrier, and two extraordinary women, Elizabeth Dimitrov and Louise Michel. Yeah? So it's the story of this uh, secret, completely unknown visit by Marx and Jenny to Paris. And it was by uh, just a chance that we discovered this and decided, of course, to translate it to French and publish it. That's the story to make a long story short. Yes. Story. Uh, for those who've not had a chance to see the book, this is a book that plays on the line between art and reality. And I won't give away much more than that. Um, if you're a fan of Umberto Eco and you've ever read The Name of the Rose, you might, uh, you might be familiar with the, um, the method uh, behind this. Uh, but uh, thank you very much, Michael. I wanted to jump right into the meaning of the Paris Commune um, and ask, uh, maybe I'll start with uh, Natalia. Well, I'll just say, it's an interesting panel because uh, Natalia has experience both in Latin America and in the United States as a socialist. Valerio has a, a special relationship to Portugal in terms of European uh, politics, as well as uh, his, his main role in, in Brazil. And Michael is a very well-known and respected figure on the European left, France, home base, but also has roots in Brazil. So we have a really tri-continental view of what uh, the Paris Commune has meant to the movement. And so I'd like to just begin, uh, maybe I'll throw this que first question to Natalia and say this. Um, excuse the school bells going off. Um, prior to the 1917 Russian Revolution, the Paris Commune really stood out as the greatest international inspiration uh, for the socialist movement. Um, and I'm wondering, and from your experience in the United States, and if you want to compare it to Latin America, do you think that the Paris Commune still has an echo amongst socialist activists in the United States today? Or is this one of those stories that has been really lost to history and we have to educate a new generation uh, about it? So if you could you know, comment on what is your uh, what is your uh, what is the impact the Paris Commune has had on you and, and people like you in the United States? Sure. Well, um, first of all, I absolutely loved the book. I, it was so much fun to read. And thanks for the translation, because I speak other romance languages, but not French. So it was, I really recommend to everyone. I think, no, this history is not, especially in the U.S. context, it's not a part of kind of our education or our, our sense of, of possibility, our sense of politics. And I think that this book is a great introduction to anybody looking for one. Um, I think um, it's tied to kind of some of the the weaknesses of of our movement at this time, where we don't really have kind of a a gathering of where we we discuss history and we discuss what it means, and people kind of get piecemeal here and there. Um, and I think 
that itself is connected to the fact that in the U.S. Um, there's just such a such a large um, there, there's no lived experience um, in any way of, of the experience of revolution. Um, and, you know, I think that this in a lot of ways, like shapes the way that people think about history in the U.S. because we feel very much like we're confined in this really difficult, complicated moment where there seem like there's no outs. And without that history, it can be very hard to think about the longer term things, to think about where we're coming from, where we're going. Um, and, you know, I think there's really important openings also to talk about this history. There's a lot like kind of a reawakening of people thinking about Eugene Debs and the fight for the eight, for the for the eight hour day and all these things that were very much, you know, part and parcel of, of a moment of history where the, the level of struggle was so much higher. Um, and I think that there's a lot um, to the experience of the Paris Commune and some of kind of the foundational questions of how socialists should operate, how socialists think of democracy as being participatory and not simply about representing somebody. And I will say that these are questions, I'm also in the Democratic Socialists of America, and these are questions that come up all the time. And we um, we were part of trying to raise that, that in the Democratic Socialists of America, we should have the right to recall our elected leaders. And we referenced the Paris Commune, and, and it definitely didn't resonate at this particular moment. But I think there, there's like, uh, you know, th th these things are going to play out over time, and this history is 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 foundational. Thanks, Natalia. Um, Valerio, could you just say a few words about this? Sort of the same question is from the point of view. My assumption, and Michael can correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption is that in France and maybe in Western Europe, or at least Southern Western Europe, there's more of a sense of the history of the Paris Commune. But did that history get across uh, the Atlantic to Brazil, and is it a part of the Brazilian workers' movement? Well, hi, um, Todd, Natalia, and, and Michel, Michael. Um, probably you don't know, but 50 years ago, um, Michael was one of my first Marxist teachers. I was organized in a small circle with um, every week we had a, um, a meeting. So it's great to be. Uh, with you in the launch, launching of this uh, creative uh, book, um, it uh, appeals to political imagination so we can go back to the past and inspire ourselves with uh, this very powerful idea that um, workers can organize themselves in a mass scale and ambition to rule a city. Well, Paris was one of the biggest cities in the world. So at the time of the Paris Commune, Brazil was a very, very distant place. So the impact of those weeks uh, did not get here but i think it's fair enough um, to evaluate that in the last uh, 20 years um, in unions at um, public universities we'd had meetings to celebrate the experience of the commune the paris commune um, it's maybe because in Brazil, the workers' movement has been, at least in the 80s, it was, no doubt, one of the most powerful, powerful uh, workers' movement in, in the world. 
Um, it was um, a decade where Brazilian work workers were the most active in strikes and mass meetings. It's the, was, it was the, the final moment of the fight against the military dictatorship. And during the, as I, I was telling you, Todd, the last 20 years, we had a, a, several uh, conferences and formations, educational activities, uh, and many books were published on the Paris Commune. And essentially, the, the most important idea was that even if premature, at that time, in a catastrophic situation after the, 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 the emperor uh, Bonaparte was defeated during the French-German war, when the, the Germans invaded France and marched to Paris, it was the working class that took the power to defend their city, their capital. And Paris became the revolutionary capital of the world. And it was the biggest city in Occidental Europe, probably in, at, in the world at that time. And uh, the working class had a huge social uh, weight and political um, maturity to organize itself and, and to conquer power and try to change their lives through collective activities. And during their very uh, ephemeral experience, they showed the world that it was possible. And, and that's a very powerful idea. It's possible. It's not true the only, that only billionaires can uh, conquer power and organize the society. Simple people, working class people, can uh, conquer the, the majority of the... The, the, the political and social majority to sustain uh, an independent government and try to go for, uh, beyond the limits of capitalism. So, Todd, it's a very, I think it's a, a, an event, an, an, an extraordinary, heroic episode. The workers defending their capital surrounded by the German unbelievably more powerful army and um, uh, although it was defeated we can learn from the defeats so it, it, they demonstrated that it was possible at least they tried Todd. thanks thanks valerio um wonderful uh, encapsulation and it, it reminds me that we probably should have said two minutes at the beginning about the, what actually happened in the Paris Commune uh, for, for people who are not familiar. So I think Valerio just did a very a good job of encapsulating. Um, but just to say, I'll add to what he said and then ask this question. Um, the very short explanation is, is a war between Germany and France in 1871 that the king, the emperor, the emperor, not the king, of France loses in a catastrophic battle. The Germans surround Paris and the working class rises up, kicks out the old government and takes over. And and as Valerio said, very inspirational working class rebellion that inspired uh, Marx and Engels and all of their collaborators all over the world. 
very inspiring. I think it has come down to us. Uh, for those of us, as Natalia said, not everyone in the world keeps up with the, the history of the Paris Commune, uh, especially in the United States. But for those of us who are aware of the Paris Commune, in some sense, it's become a symbol. It's become a inspiration, as Valerio said. But one of the things that I'm wondering about, and maybe Michael can, can take on this question to begin with, one of the things I'm wondering about is that the Paris Commune, while it was an inspirational example of workers' rebellion and revolution, um, and there's much to learn from it, it was also part of its own context. It didn't come out of the blue. And if we, in 21st century America, think of it as this pristine rebellion that created a commune, for us, that word commune has this very radical connotation. But if, unless I'm wrong, the word uh, commune, commune in, in, in French, is used to refer to essentially municipalities. So that there are today communes in, in France, but they're just towns. So the point of that, this question is, what was new about the Paris Commune and what was connected to the past? So it wasn't that the commune just appeared out of the blue in a perfectly pristine, uh, completely radical uh, overturn of existing society. It had elements of the old and elements of the new. So, for instance, uh, the organization that really turned the lever to, to kick out the old government and begin the path towards workers' power in the revolution in Paris was the National Guard, um, a military institution set up under the old uh, emperor. Um, and uh, the form of the commune, as I said, even the name was taken from the existence of, uh, of the pre-existing form of government. So, Michael, could you talk a little bit about what did the workers in Paris create completely new? What did they change from the past? And what did they throw out entirely from the past? <laughs> well, it's difficult to answer. Well, of course, the commune, like every historical event, has its root in the past. First of all, in the French Revolution, yeah? many of the references, the inspiration, even the idea of the Paris Commune, there was a Paris Commune during the French Revolution, which was more radical than the French government, even on the Jacobins. So there was a strong attachment to the, Paris, to the French Revolution and to the Paris Commune during the French Revolution. Then there were all the revolutionary traditions of the 19th century who were represented at the Commune, the 1848 revolution, the blankest revolutionary current, the Proudhonists, every, all the traditions of uh, revolutionary movements in the people uh, and the working class were represented uh, in the Commune. So the Commune didn't come out of nothing. Yeah, It was the most advanced and radical expression of this revolutionary tradition. But it was at the same time something new because it went well beyond what had been the limits of all the previous revolutions. First of all, by kicking out the whole ruling apparatus of the bourgeoisie, yes, the government, the army, etc., etc., the police, and creating something new which this something new was, as you said, to some extent, institutions who had been created before, like the National Guard, but under the form of something old, it, uh, uh, it, it uh, acquired a completely new content. Yeah? This National Guard elected 
by the proletariat in, in Paris was something new in relation to what had been the ethnogard in the past. Yeah? And the same thing to the all other uh, institutions. Yeah? So, uh, well, Marx summarized what, what the Paris Commune introduced as new. For the first time in history, it was a government of the people, of the working class. Yeah? For the first time in history, it never happened before, neither in the French Revolution, nor in the English Revolution, nor in the American Revolution, etc. Et so it was something new, yes, a, a breakthrough, yeah? who tried to take measures who weren't yet uh, socialist, but they went beyond the limits of capitalism, as Valerio Arcari said so well. Yeah? So this is why it became an inspiration for the other revolutions who came like the, the Russian Revolution, yeah. Uh, Lenin at the beginning didn't uh, didn't uh, appreciate. Uh, he said we shouldn't imitate the, the, the Paris Commune because they confuse the Republican and the Socialist Revolution. They are separate things. But then in 1917, in the April thesis, he says our model is the Paris Commune because they combine the Republican and the Socialist Revolution. Yeah. So I, I think. Uh, we have to see it uh, in this sense as a, as a historical movement. Yeah? The, the meaning of the commune changed according to the historical period, but it remains always this first example of a revolutionary power of the working class taking measures to point towards beyond capitalism, towards a socialist future. I think that's, again, uh, to make a long story short, the meaning of the, of the Paris Commune. And in France today, well, after in 1968 and the early 70s, the Paris Commune was very much present in French politics. I remember it, it took place in the demonstration at the 100th anniversary of the Paris Commune in 1971. There were hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands. Of, of course, today, uh, last year at the 150th anniversary, there was much less, yeah? because it was not a revolutionary conjuncture. But I think every time there is a revolutionary movement in France, in Europe, and perhaps elsewhere. People take the Paris Commune as a reference. Eh? That's my feeling. Thank you, Michael. Um, Natalia, I wanted to maybe start with you, but I'd be interested in hearing what everybody else says about this. Um, in some sense, in the last five, five, ten years or so, maybe even a little bit longer, there has been, you know, for better or worse, there's an identification of the socialist movement, or let's put it this way, some of the most obvious um, signposts of the socialist movement have taken place in electoral terms. So we've seen Bernie Sanders' campaign here in the United States, actually just on on Sunday, I think, uh, or it was the second round of the French elections on Sunday, but three weeks earlier, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who is, you know, is a socialist, came within a few points, I believe, of getting into the second round against Macron in the French elections. So you know, there's a tradition of elections in France, and actually the left, uh, while marginalized in the second round um, with Le Pen running, uh, broadly speaking, a lot of socialist support in the elections in France. And of course, in Brazil, um, coming up in the, in the fall, oh my God, is it in the fall? Um, there will be an election of a neo-fascist. It's going to be kind of a rerun um, of the French election, a neo-fascist Although in a different context, Lula will not be Macron. He will be a, a very different sort of candidate. But this question of elections has, has been very important 
uh, electoral strategy has been very important for the left in the last you know, decade or two. Certainly historically, it's always been important. But I, I, without getting into the specifics of electoral tactics, I wonder what would you look at, uh, Natalia, when you look at the Paris Commune and keeping those electoral tactics in mind, um, the one change that Marx and Engels made to the Communist Manifesto after the Paris Commune is uh, they wrote the following. They said, one thing, uh, this is Marx and Engels speaking, one thing especially was proved by the Commune. That is, the working class cannot simply lay a hold of the ready-made state machinery and wield it for its own purposes. So on the one hand, they seem to be saying, um, you can't just get into the state machine and use it. The working class can't use this apparatus of oppression for its own, for its own uh, purposes. On the other hand, Marx and Engels were advocates of running in elections. So in your experience, both historically and what you see around you today, how do socialists understand that seeming contradiction between wanting to get rid of the whole old apparatus and on the other hand, using the openings that it presents today to try to, 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 ha to fight on the electoral front? So just uh, historical or, or current thoughts you have. Sure. Uh, well, I think it's important to say, like, of course, struggles are always going to take place in some relation to existing institutions. Like, there's no way to actually fully put yourself outside of those things short of having one, uh, you know, a socialist revolution. Um, but I, I do think that one of the things that the Paris Commune points to so importantly is that the, the basic democratic impulses that working class people have in struggle, can, they, they can't be contained into, they, they can't be reflected and actually given full um, representation under capitalism. Um, this includes, you know, the right to self-governance, the right to, um, to discipline the quote unquote invisible hand of the market, um, and just the right to basic democratic control over all spheres of life. Um, and I think thinking about those things, it helps kind of situate what the goals are and what the aspirations are of, of, a, of a movement and of a, of a socialist horizon. Um, I think you, you use the word not debating the tactic of elections. And the thing is that I agree like that elections are part of a tactic toward achieving a broader socialist transformation of society. And I think one of the things that I've found a little bit challenging in the context that we're in right now is that in the U.S., the question of an election has become divorced from that broader strategy, and it's become a strategy itself. Whereas I think there's so many ways, and we could point to so many examples of the need to have an electoral strategy that is accountable to something bigger and to, that serves a larger purpose. And when we just run elections for the purpose of winning um, particular seats in office, and when we say that is how we are going to change society by getting more people amassed into, into office, we are veering pretty far away from what the commune represented and pretty far away from what Marx and Engels were talking about when they were talking about the self-emancipation of the working class. Um, I think it's a really, really contradictory, really challenging thing that has a lot of tensions that we're going to have to learn a lot of lessons about and, and we're never going to do fully pure or fully right. But having that like goal in mind and having everything be directed by the idea that we are not trying to manage a system. We are not trying to balance the, the kind of accounts of, of a incredibly precarious, incredibly um, imperialist world order. We are trying to do everything we possibly can to imbue the spirit of, of the communards in the idea that like, actually we should have a say over every aspect of life. And uh, we're not gonna let go of that goal. Um, and we're not gonna let those things pass by even in the context of a system that doesn't represent that at all. And I think that keeping in mind, like 
those bigger aspirations, those bigger ideas, is, is kind of part and parcel to what a socialist electoral strategy um, that's going to serve those purposes is going to have to look like. Um, and I think there's been a lot of obfuscation of those discussions, um, especially in the U.S. context. And I think it's important to kind of get back to this question of like, what is the goal? What is the horizon? What is the goal? And there's debates within that. And that's fantastic. But let's clarify them. And you know, let's let's not let's not think that that the goal has to be um, brought down to just to just getting small um, you know numbers of people elected into office, and that somehow that's where socialism is going to come from. Thanks, Natalia. Um, Michael, I don't know. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that from yes. uh, sort of uh, French context? Yes, I would like to say two or three ideas Hello. on this. Hello. Oh, Michael, he, you asked Michael. Oh, I'll take Michael, then I'll go to you, Valeria. Okay. Look, um, I wouldn't just uh, give example of France. Uh, I would say something more general. Marx once said, if a uh, working class power party force comes to power and tries to implement its program of overcoming capitalism and beginning to transition to socialism, uh, in other terms, trying to abolish uh, wage slavery, it may happen, it will happen to them, what happened in the United States when Lincoln tried to abolish slavery. There was a rebellion of the slave owners, uh, an armed rebellion of the slave owners, and the ferocious civil war. So if a proletarian power tries to abolish wage slavery, the wage slave owners, the capitalists, will try to wage uh, war against them. Yeah? And I think this is a good lesson. That means it, it does, Marx didn't say we, the, the work of the proletarian party cannot win the election and, and come to the government, but what will happen after? Yeah? And we have two very interesting examples of what happened after. Yeah? One was in Spain. In Spain, uh, as soon as the Popular Front won elections and tried to implement not socialism, but some reforms, there was a counter-revolutionary fascist rebellion yeah? of the military. But the proletariat, the workers, the workers' movement, and particularly the anarchists, but not all of them, uh, took arms and were able to crush this fascist upsurge, not in the whole Spain, but in, in most of the big town. Yeah? Well, of course, then there was a civil war, and then Nazi Germany intervened, uh, Mussolini intervened, etc. Well, you know the story, and they were defeated. Yeah, But there was a a resistance, and this was the beginning of a revolution because in Spain there was a revolution which started in 1936. Yeah, it was a real revolution, one of the most important in, in Europe. Now, so this this is one example of Mark, what Marx said. And the other example, which is more tragic, is of course Chile. Yeah, in Chile, the, the left came to the government and tried to implement some quite radical measures with Salvador Allende, and there was this counter-revolutionary upsurge. Unfortunately, 
for several reasons which we can't discuss now, there was no similar resistance that had taken place in Spain. So the, the whole experience was crushed in blood for, for 20, 30 years. Yeah? So this is to say uh, elections may be the first step of a revolutionary process, but the proletarian forces must be ready to defend their democratic victory yeah, against counter-revolutionary insurgency. If you are enjoying the Haymarket Live series, you'll also be interested in a new book from Haymarket, Revolutionary Rehearsals in the Neoliberal Age, edited by Colin Barker, Gareth Dale, and Neil Davidson. This ambitious volume examines revolutionary situations during a non-revolutionary historical conjuncture, the neoliberal era. The last three decades have seen an increase in the number of political upheavals that challenge existing power structures, many of them taking the form of urban revolts. This book compellingly explores a series of such upheavals, from Eastern Europe to Sub-Saharan Africa to Latin America, and also engages in the theorization of revolution today. As Tithi Bhattacharya puts it, the book is not a wistful history about what could have been. Rather, it is a strategic assessment of near victories to prepare us for the fire next time. Find revolutionary rehearsals in the neoliberal age at haymarketbooks.org. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Valerio, if I could, maybe I'm just going to broaden the question slightly to you um, with an eye on time. Um, the elector, elections are a question within the commune, um, but there's also an, an incredible combination of all forms of struggle in the, in the commune. We see artistic forms of struggle. So the, the famous column of the emperor is torn down. There's a big debate about whether or not to destroy the old forms of art under the empire or to make something new that happens in all revolutions. Um, there's the question of, of women's rights. There's the question of trade unions um, and cooperatives within the commune. There's also the military question. Uh, Marx, uh, I think it was Marx who famously said that if only they could have gotten Blanqui out of prison, uh, that he, he would have had a better, uh, he was he was currently in prison under the emperor outside of Paris. If they could have got August Blanqui back into Paris, he might have been able to come up with a better military strategy. So all of these forms of struggle at the get compressed into one, but they don't all become completely similar. Um, so for instance, there wasn't, and Michael can correct me if I'm wrong, but there wasn't yet in the Paris Commune, while there was a lot of international solidarity, I believe a German worker was appointed the head of, uh, of the labor ministry or something like that, but uh, France was still a colonial power. And so you have this combination of struggles of all sorts uh, but there's always more struggles to come. And so the combination of struggles, military, artistic, class, trade union, electoral, all seem to kind of become compressed in the commune. And and from your experience, I think similar things have happened in Brazil at points, at the high points of struggle, where you have multiple forms of struggle. Um, and often in our experience in the United States, and Natalia can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems that we're often doing our own thing. And it's very seldom that all of the radicals get together and begin to together. So sorry for the announcement. But what is what is your sense of the commune? How did it combine different forms of struggle and different sections of society? What mechanisms did it use to bring people together? And then do you have other examples of how that's worked in your life? Well, um, 
you know, when I was a teenager, <laughs> I was uh, at Lisbon and I lived for 10 years under a terrible fascist, very authoritarian regime, the Salazarismo. It was um, uh, one of the, the world's well, the latest uh, empire uh, that spread itself from Africa to Asia with Angola, Mozambique, uh, uh, Timor, a, a part of an island in the Indonesian, Indonesian archipelago. Well, and um, we fought against the dictatorship for democracy. And it's very interesting that in the Paris Commune, one of the first decisions was that the, the Central Committee of the National Guard that took power, he um, organized elections. So uh, the, the National Guard, that was a, a, a kind of an army, and a, a kind of a, a police army, they took the power, they, they didn't keep the power for itself. They, 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 they organize general elections. And in all the arrondissements, the different parts of the city, the popular leaderships were elected. So it, this is an important lesson because the, the idea of socialism was um, discouraged during the last uh, 100 years because those countries that called themselves socialists were very authoritarian, bureaucratic dictatorships. Dramatically, the idea of socialism was separated, divided from the idea of freedom. The idea of uh, liberties, the idea of um, um, an, an, an existence with dignity, with uh, rights, r important rights. So, um, in 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 Brazil, we had the, the, the dictatorship experience for twenty years, but it's very interesting because after. 2003, in the early years of the 20th century, not only in Brazil, but also here, progressive, limited, reformist governments were elected. And in Brazil, uh, the Workers' Party won four elections, two elections with Lula and two elections with his successor. Dilma Rousseff. But we had a coup, a new kind of coup, different from those military coup, coups that uh, were the, um, the central strategy of the um, U.S. Uh, policy for Latin America during the Cold War. A different kind of coup. This time it was a parliamentary, a congressional, juridic coup. They didn't have to put the thanks on the streets. But actually, although the Workers' Party government, Natalia, 
you have the Argentinian experience. Although the Workers' Party governments during 13 years try only to make small reforms regulating limits for this salvage capitalism we have in Brazil, although it was limited in the reforms, the, the dominant class unified themselves in uh, 2016 and went to the coup. And this opens the way to the election of Bolsonaro, which is a neo-fascist. So I think when we remind ourselves of the lessons of the Paris Commune, I think we can say that we must inspire ourselves in the radical democracy of the Paris Commune that uh, guaranteed freedom for not only for the artists, for the thinkers, but freedoms for the people, freedoms the people didn't have in their workplaces, in his day-to-day -day lives. So that workers and the youth and the intellectuals and the artists, they felt that they were capturing their lives in their hands and making decisions that were their own, and there was democracy in different tendencies, violent debates or radical debates between the Prodonists, the, the, the Blankists, the Marxists, this plurality of tendencies inside the workers' movement, because socialism is not uh, dictatorship. Socialism is permanent revolution, changing all the every day a little bit and um, believing that f freedom and equality are inseparable, not contradictory. We, to be more equal, we need to be free. And to be free, we need to be more equal. And I think the Paris Commune is that, leave us this banner. There is no freedom if there is no equality. It's um, indivisible. Todd? Good. Good. <laughs> good, good. Maybe Todd connection came down. Yes, it seems he's not listen to us. Do you listen to me, Natalia, Michelle? Yes, I hear you. But Todd is out of the game, I think. He's, uh, oh, no. Todd, can you hear us? Michael, this is a good opportunity to for you to talk a little bit more about the book and maybe criticize me <laughs> as a good old teacher you have always been. Oh, on the contrary, you summarized wonderfully everything which I didn't have the time to say. <laughs> exactly, this election. I just wanted to say something. Uh, Marx was, uh, at the beginning, he was opposed to the election. He said the Central Committee Thank should Thank you, Valeria. Keep um, power. Yeah? Maybe two uh, final questions, and we'll bring it to a close. Okay. One. I'll discuss it with you later. Oh.
Todd came back. We we have a conversation with Valerio, but please come on. Uh, Todd. We lost you, Todd. Sorry, am I, am I back? No. Todd, you froze and they will continue. Are you back? <laughs> it's incredible because I'm at Sao Paulo and Michelle is in Paris and Natalia is in New York, but Todd cannot. Okay, so let me continue my argument. You know, Marx said they shouldn't have called for elections. Yes. And in the book, I make him discuss with Eugene Ballet and he said, you were too honest for, for elections. And Valet said, revolutions are never honest, too, too honest. Yeah? So I think he was right. Yeah? Uh, Jenny agreed with uh, Jean Valet. They should have called for this election. It was very important. Yes, we can. Yeah, we can. But you are not speaking. Now we can't hear you. There's a problem with your connection, Todd. You are froze again. Hmm. Mm. Well, well, well. Well, Michael, uh, continue, continue, because it was <laughs> so interesting. You were telling us yeah. about this, this uh, reflection yeah. on Marx yeah. about um, revolution and, and elections. It was so yeah. interesting. Go on. It was, the, the commune was right, right to call for elections. And uh, it was important to have, as you said, this political pluralism which had many problems. They had many contradictions and fightings and uh, and the so Yes, I think the question of the Democrats is really tantamount in terms of this question of who is and isn't on our side. And it looks different in different contexts and different, different countries, but that stood out to me a lot also in terms of the debates that are put forward in the book. Um, and thanks again for the book. I, I really, I really thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'll just say a few words and give the word to you, to Michael, to, to end this session. Um, I think, uh, well, the, the Paris Commune was an heroic, probably a little bit premature, historically premature uh, ex uh, social uh, experience, but very uh, inspiring inspiring also because of the although defeated for how much they done so such a short space of time so i think we we are in a moment a very difficult moment in the world with the 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 war on Ukraine after two year, terrible years of pandemia and probably new pandemias will come and um, all the well in Brazil you you know the Amazonia crisis well just yesterday we we have this notice that 
uh, a, a young girl in the Yanomani reserve in the frontier with Brazil and Venezuela was uh, raped. So the violence and um, all the disaster in Amazonia for the last three and a half years. Um, so we, we are living in a very difficult moment in, in international terms and also, well, I speak of, about Brazil and the idea that, that society can be changed, that the future can be different, that a new uh, form of organizing our life, it's possible. It's very exciting that these ideas are all or like 150 years so generations fought before us and we will be followed by new generations that will learn from our mistakes and our defeats but that does not invalidate the meaning of fighting because it gives us the historical perspective that change is possible, although it's difficult and fractures society, and and it's it, and it's hard. And we'll fight for rights. We'll make strikes for wages, and we'll fight for labor, and we'll fight for women's rights, for Amazonia, for. Uh, the black movement's rights and will try to fight for power and we know there is the danger of civil war and it's it's an, an epic saga to change the world but the, the although all it's difficult it's possible How, they did so much and so small in, in very short weeks. So I, I think it's very exciting that we uh, feed ourselves from this lesson. It's difficult, but it's possible to change the world. And uh, I don't think uh, there is a better way to give meaning to our individual small lives. Michel. Yeah, well... You know, Walter Benjamin used to say that there is a tradition of the oppressed. And this is a precious heritage. Without this, there can be no struggle. If you don't have the memory of the fights of your ancestors, if you don't have the memory of the victories and the defeats, there will be no struggle. There will be no resistance and there will be no revolution. So I think this memory is very important and we have to keep it alive. And of course, we are fighting against terrible odds. Yeah, everything you said, Valerio and and you and Natasha. It's uh, we, we are fighting very powerful enemies, much more powerful than we. And uh, it's not at all sure that uh, we are going to, to win. Yeah, but uh, I always keep uh, quoting that trade by Bertolt Brecht, which I like so much. Uh, it's uh, wisdom. Yeah, it's uh, very short, but it is a lot of wisdom. Those who fight may lose, but those who don't fight have lost already. Huh? So we have to fight. That's my final message. <laughs> Todd, please. Thank you, everybody. I hope I'm back. If I'm breaking up badly, somebody just give me the, the sign and, um, and uh, Sean can step in and give the information from Haymarket Books. But I wanted to thank everybody uh, for participating today, Natalia and Valerio, and, and especially Michael, 
um, with his partner Olivia for this for this wonderful book. Um, and one thing we didn't get much chance to talk about, uh, maybe we'll do a follow up. But one of the things that is really powerful, and I hope that people take away from the book, is is I can't say for sure, but I think that they really did a great job of capturing the relationship between Jenny and Carl. Uh, father and daughter, uh, both revolutionaries, both figures in their own right. Um, and uh, and I think it humanizes uh, what, what people have been saying, which is that uh, we don't pick uh, the ground of our own choosing. We're put on this earth and we have to fight where we are. Um, and uh, the beauty of this book was that, that Marx was never able to visit the Paris Commune, uh, but through Olivier and Michael's uh, writing, uh, he and Jenny were. Uh, and I think that they captured um, the, not just the facts, not just the history, not just the theory, but the sentiment, the feeling, uh, the emotion uh, of that time. Uh, and I think we need a lot more of that today. Certainly, we're facing some grim times, uh, but it's books like this that uh, books can't change the world necessarily, but books can change the people who are going to change the world. So I really want to thank uh, Michael and Olivier for this wonderful book. Uh, it's cheap enough. Go get your copy at haymarketbooks.org. Um, I believe you can get an electronic copy as well, but uh, getting nothing better than getting the physical copy uh, in your hands uh, and thumbing through it uh, and keeping it for yourself, passing it on to a friend. Uh, so that's it for this afternoon. Uh, please come back and check out Haymarket Books uh, for really wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful radical literature uh, published at an amazing pace. And so thanks to the team in Haymarket. Thanks again to all our speakers. And um, in the memory of the Paris Commune, um, vive, la, vive la Commune. Vive la Commune. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.